The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. Father, um, thankful for the time of fellowship around the table and the opportunity to just uh, talk about things that are going on. And thanks for uh, Lewis and I getting to talk with the kids out there and listening to them share some of their stories and things that they're doing. And um, thankful now for the time to open your word and uh, to look at the things that you have to say to us there, the things that your son specifically said to these disciples and ask that we might take these things to heart as they relate to us. And we thank you for it and amen. So John chapter 16, and we're going to put in at verse 16, we're going to kind of read (coughs) down through this, down through this section just to kind of tie some things together. Um, So verse 16, I'm just going to read English here. So if my English might be a little different than yours, but here it goes. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, what does... He mean by saying to us a little while and you will no longer see me and again a little while and you will see me because I'm going to the Father. <coughs> and they said, what does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him so he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while and you will no longer see me and again a little while and you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn but the world will rejoice. You will have pain but your pain will be turned into joy. And when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish uh, because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. (coughs) Excuse me. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Up until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete or filled full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you, I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I came into the world again and I am leaving the world and am going to the Father. And his disciples said, Yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. And by this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one to his own things, and you will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace, in the world you will face persecution or trouble, but take courage, I have conquered or I have overcome the world. So we've been through this first part where he's talking to them about the the pain, the grief, and everything that's going to go on, and how that obviously had to do with his betrayal and his crucifixion and those things. We've, we've dealt with that. and But in between there, in the middle of that, he makes this, this statement, and we pointed this out, that Jesus had said back up here in these verses that he knew they wanted to ask him something. They wanted to ask him a question. And he uses eritao. And he says, the day's coming, you're not going to ask me anything. We saw this a few weeks ago in verse 23. You're not going to ask me anything. But I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And so we were talking about the fact, now we go to the Father. And oftentimes when we talk about this asking, and I think we might take an evening and just kind of look at at this asking form of communication and some other things. But I kind of want to finish a couple of things that he says here before I take, take an aside night and kind of work on the asking thing. But as we were talking about this, um, the, diff, the change of verbs in verse 23 between eritao, to ask as an equal, versus aiteo, to ask as a lesser to a greater, in verse that you're going to ask the Father, um, 
we immediately, when we say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And we immediately think, oh, we're talking about asking for stuff, asking for health, asking for a house, asking for a car, asking, you know, fill in whatever blank we put at the end of that. But there's, a, but there's also a good possibility in this verse that he is even more specifically talking about going to the Father with questions with regard to stuff, things that they wanted to ask the Son when he was here, and now we actually go and we direct that at the Father. Now, the Father is not the one that necessarily will give us the direct information. It's oftentimes going to do it through the, through the Spirit, but we are asking the Father in this regard. And uh, I'm just adding that. That's another detail. We kind of touched on that, I don't know, two weeks ago or last week. I don't remember when we touched on that. Um, but, he, but it's important to point out in verse 24, up until now you've asked nothing in my name. And that's really important because if you go and you talk about, commun- we call it prayer. But I've kind of been trained to talk about it in terms of communication because prayer is a term that normally is applied to a particular word of all the communication words. Uh, like I said, we'll maybe take a night or so. It's been a few years since we've gone through all these different terms. But people have been talking to God in one way or another for a long time, right? And for 1,500 years in talking to God, they were supposed to go to the tabernacle or the tent and then to the temple to talk to God. And you talk to God through a priest. And I've told you, and I've bounced this off some other people that I've met, just wondering... Have you ever wondered when you read some of the Psalms, like the Psalms of David, the Psalms of Asaph, and these different Psalms, were some of these things that they wanted said at the temple, and they write these down and they take it up, and they're this is this is what I'm asking for God. I want you to go into now into the temple, which I can't do. Only the priest can do this, and I would like you to go in there and communicate this before God as you stand before that veil in the room where God is. I don't know. I've had people go, oh, it's a very interesting possibility. Uh, I just I throw that out because that's one of the things that I still wonder if that's the origin of some of the psalms. Not all of them, but at least some of them. That they're, I mean, could you imagine if you woke up in the night and you had a burden and you wanted to, we, you just pray for a person, right? You lay there in bed and you just pray for them. But could you imagine at a time where you needed to go to a temple to do that? To a specific place and you had to talk to a priest? What was the very nature of a priest? The Hebrew word kohen that translates priest, or that priest is the translation of that. It was a term that meant one that went before. It was a person that went on your behalf before somebody else. And so they wrote these things down very likely and went and communicated these things. Granted, we have people out away from the tabernacle, away from the temple that do in in certain ways in scriptures talk to God, but for the most part that communication it's very clearly indicated that they were supposed to be directed to that place. Uh, we don't have to do that. Which direction do you have to point when you pray? God doesn't care. I think, Please. I think uh, that's an interesting example. Uh, usually we take things in the Old Testament and read them in today, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an example of the opposite. We're reading. We assume that, oh, Old Testament believers could just talk to God. No, they couldn't. They had to go to temple. Yeah. And I, and I mentioned that we did that study um, back. All I can remember, it's when you guys lived out at Hazel's house. Because <laughs> I remember, I think like the night we started that study, it seems like we were out there. And I might be wrong, but I remember going through that study on access. And to me, that was one of the things as I went start studying that, I was like, this was really amazing. You and I have this incredibly unprecedented access to God anytime, anywhere because we're always seated at the Father's right hand in Christ. That never changes. I can be an absolute rotten man down here that day, and yet if I get my brain thinking straight, I then instantly can have access to the Father, which allows me, for one thing, to confess to the Father, to go to the Father and say, you know what I did this morning? That was sin, out and out sin. It was not acting in keeping with who you've made me. And I can just go direct to him and talk to him. Remember in the Old Testament, if you confess, what you had to do? You had to take an offering. You had to go up to the temple. You had to talk to a priest and say, priest, this is what I did. Da, 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 da. Here's my offering. Take it into God. I'm confessing my sin and make me clean with all this process. <coughs> so we don't have to do that. We just go direct into the presence of God. The minute, 
and we agree with God about the nature of what we've done. So, up till now, he says there in verse 23, up till now, or verse 24, up till now, you have asked nothing in my name, but ask, and you'll receive, and this is what we went over last week then, in order that your joy may be filled full. And I, we're not going to go through all these scriptures. There was just a couple of you there last week. It was We had our, we had our mini Bible study group last week. But uh, when he's talking about this, um, right here in the upper room, he uses this exp same expression. Your joy may be filled full. And we have in there in 15, 4, and 5, you can abide in who God says you are in Christ. Joy is filled full. You can love other believers as Christ loved. 15, 9 through 12, and your joy is filled full. You can know about your relationships that you have that you have to the Father and the Son that we spoke about, and your joy can be filled full. And then if you went over to 1 John 1, when you have fellowship, when you actually are sharing in God's kind of life, like the Father and with the Father and Son, your joy is filled full. And when you're doing it with other believers, well, actually in the context, if Josh is doing it, and I choose then to share in that. Now we're sharing in that life along with sharing with the Father. That's when our joy is filled full. And then Second John 12, John also says, think about this. When you get together with other believers, John says, i got other things to write to you, but I don't want it. I, other things to talk to you about, but I don't want to do it with pen and ink or paper and pen. Pen, I think, is actually what he says. But he says, I want to come and see you face to face and talk with you about this. And he says, that my joy may be filled full. Think about that. I hope that, that you can say that that's true. Getting together with other believers fills your joy full. I, was, I, I started to tell this to Lewis tonight, but you know, you're, we're trying to go through the aisle, uh, the aisle, go through the, go through the lunch line up there. <laughs> I feel like I'm in school at the lunch line. No, but you know, we're going through there and we had been talking and I, was, I started to tell him, I said, how much I enjoy going to men's group. I don't think I ever walk away from men's group going, man, I wish I would have stayed home. What a bummer tonight. You know, it, it, it's refreshing to sit down and talk. Even if we don't always all see absolutely eye to eye on everything, there's something about sharing together with, with, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. I come here last week. What was there was four of us for Bible study. I could have sat there and gone, there's only four of us. You know what? There were four of us and we all had a good time. And we talked and we prayed and my joy was filled full. And so I just, I say those things. That's kind of a review of where we were. And he's telling them, you know, asking. This is another one. Asking the Father and seeing the Father do something. Or, um, <laughs> just a minute. It's not showing up. I have a daughter that, I'm guessing it's a granddaughter that's trying to FaceTime with us. So she oh. tends to get her mom's phone, phone and run off and then calls grandma. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. Aubrey called us one night at Bible study at your house, remember? Oh, and I, I know. And I, oh, yeah. and I, I, she got embarrassed because I held the, the thing around. I said, look, everybody's here. And she's like, oh, yeah. okay, grandma, bye. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I a question. Please do. When he keeps talking about your joy being full, John, is that similar to, um, have you compared that to like when Paul tells, talks to the Philippians and he states it slightly differently, rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. Yeah. And would you say that's a similar concept as they're talking, using yeah. different verbs? This is just the words that Jesus used in this expression and I chased those down and they, interestingly enough, John uses them both in the Gospel of John quoting Jesus and then uses them again when he writes people in First John and Second John. But yeah, this would be similar to what Paul is saying. Yeah, so we, so we share joy in, in uh, communion and fellowship with other believers. And so that was just a review. I thought for those of you that weren't there last week, we just kind of walked through those. I didn't have you go through all those verses with us. Uh, you, can take a look, you can take a look at those on your own. But that brings us down then to verse 1625 where Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you in, in some of your Bibles, my, my um, English Bible said figures of speech, which is a good way to put it, figures of speech, similitudes, similes. Everybody knows what a, fig a simile is. I, I wrote some down. Crazy as a... As a loon, okay. I was thinking crazy as a fox, but loon, yeah, there's, there's loon. Crazy, crazy as a loon. Fast as a fox. Fox. Okay, now we have fox. There we go. 
<laughs> as a cheetah, yeah. And yeah. what we're doing, and we, we do this thing, we, we make comparisons to communicate things, you know, uh, to people. And um, that's what Jesus has been doing is he's talking about this. He's talking in these similitudes where he's using figures of speech to communicate these truths to these guys. He says, so up to this point, these things I've spoken to you in these similitudes, in these figures of speech, but an hour is coming. Now, in this passage, he says here in verse 25, in this hour, in verse 26, it's in that day. The hour is a reference then, smaller period of time. It's Pentecost. It's when this starts. Day would be the present dispensation the period of time in which we are existing as the body of Christ. And so he says, I've spoken to these things, but an hour is coming, that is Pentecost, when I'm no longer going to speak to you in figures of speech. I, but I will speak plainly to you. I'm going to speak in plain terms. Concerning the Father, I will announce or I will announce things to you. I was telling Jim just before we, we got started here, I'm just going to say this right now. I went through and I worked on this and I put notes together and everything. And when I was reading back through this text today, reviewing this and going back over my notes, I got to the end of verse 25 where it says, I will speak to you plainly about the Father. You guys all have that in your Bibles? And somehow or another, I just totally skipped over that. <laughs> and so I ended up spending time today going back and thinking about that. And that's we're going to hit this here in just a little bit about the Father. But I'm going to announce. But this is, I'm going to speak plainly to you. Now, here's the situation. Starting on the day of Pentecost, when did Jesus talk to these people? Because where was he at the day of Pentecost? He was not, not on yeah. earth. Yeah, he was up in heaven. He descended on high. About 10, 10 to 5 days before the day of Pentecost started. He ascended and he told the disciples in Acts 1, go into the city, wait, and tell the promise from the Father. And, uh, of course, then we all know that, that what happens in Acts 2 when the Spirit falls on all these people. Well, I want to take a look at a couple of passages. None of these are things that are new for you. I, you we, I, we've kind of seen these before. But turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. should have actually read all the verses that I had written down. I went over these last week, but I'm looking at this going, wait a second, that is not the verse I want. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, look with me at verse 11. Oh, these are my old notes. I corrected this in my type notes on the computer, I bet. Okay, I remember doing this now. Verse 11, uh, this is when your, your finger stutters and you hit the wrong thing. Verse 11, it says, and he, referring to Christ, because in the context it says, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. In verse 11, and he gave some apostles, and on the other hand, some prophets, and on the other hand, some evangelists, and on the other hand, some shepherd teachers. So he gives these four groups. We're not going to go through all of these, but let me just throw some things out on these, these four groups that he gives them. Apostles are kind of like... Uh, they're kind of like what we, well, we actually get the word missionary from the word apostle. We have no apostles today. They're gone. They're done. They were, according to what he says back in chapter 2, they were the ones that laid the foundation. They and the prophets laid the foundation. Once you lay the foundation, guess what? Done. You're done. Your job's done. Now it's our job, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, to build on top of that foundation. Okay. But they were the ones that were laying the foundation. But they did, did apostles and prophets teach. They taught a lot. A lot of teaching came from the apostles and prophets on top of that. Um, keeping your finger here in chapter 4, just flip back to chapter 3. When you get back to chapter 3, I want you to go to verse 4. Actually, we should go back to verse 3 here. I'm sorry. Verse 3. Ephesians 3.3. 3. He says, and that according to Revelation, there was known to me the mystery, even as I briefly wrote before, 
so that by reading, you might be able to understand my understanding, my comprehension, or be mindful of my understanding, excuse me, in the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See, apostles and prophets were involved in revealing this mystery, which he calls in verse 4, the mystery of the Christ. That mystery, which he tells us back in chapter 2 and back in chapter 1, is the fact that every last one of us, every believer from the day of Pentecost, until Christ comes back for all of us, so everyone, no matter where they are in the world, we all are one in Christ, and Christ is the head, and when, he, when God sees all of us together with him, because he shares his identity, he looks at the whole thing as the Christ. That's the mist that well, that's a part of the mystery. God never ever told. He talked about a person that was called the Christ, a person called the Messiah, this king that would be man that would come down here, but he never said that there would be people that would be so intimately united with him by the from the Father's point of view that we would be given to share his identity, not individually collectively. I'm not the Christ. You're not the Christ. But when God sees all of the body, everybody, like I said, from Pentecost until he comes back, when he sees all of us together united with Jesus Christ, he calls it the Christ. We've been over this many times, so I'm not, I realize this is not, you know, but I just try to emphasize this. And he says that was a mystery. And the holy apostles and prophets were the ones that revealed that. Again, I think we talked about this, but this would be one of those things back in chapter 16 of, of John where Jesus says, I got other things to tell you. That he says, you guys can't handle it right now. Because notice what he says in verse 6. And here is here's three facets of that mystery. That the Gentiles are joint heirs, joint body or joint parts of the body, and joint partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the good news. That is, we all share equally in the promises God's made to the body of Christ. This isn't talking about Israel's promises. These are the promises God's made to us in the body of Christ. And you and I as Gentiles, we don't take a back seat. We all share equally. A Jew doesn't get preference. He, they, they don't inherit 90% and we only get 10%. We all share equally in that inheritance, number one. Number two, we're all equal in the body of Christ. We all know, if you've read 1 Corinthians 12, there is no such thing as a preferred, preferred gift or preferred place in the body of Christ. Every believer, every part of the body is important, right? 1 Corinthians 12. But some people have this, this crazy idea that's, that there are better parts. Nobody wants to be a big toe, right? Or a little, don't look at my toes, they're ugly, you know, so that guy, we're all like that, you know. But there is no such thing. What does he say? All the, even those parts are important. And so all of us are equal parts of the body. And then thirdly, and we are all equal partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And that promise that he's talking about is, was mentioned back in verse 18. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. He mentions it down in verse 12 here. And it is the promise of access to God. In other words, all of us can talk to God anytime, anywhere. You don't have to get in line. When I was in high school, Peggy kind of had the same thing. We didn't have cell phones when you got out of sports at the end of the day and you didn't drive. You know, what did you do? How did you let mom and dad know you're done with sports? Payphone. You went to the payphone. But you didn't call them with the payphone. What you did is you'd call their thing and you'd call collect. Call them. And they'd answer and they'd say, collect call from Peggy. And then you'd hang up and they knew, oh, it's time to go pick up Peggy from school. You know, this is what the kids did. But guess what? If you had an upperclassman ahead of you and, and there were seniors that didn't own cars. I, I graduated. I didn't have a car until I'd been in college a year or two. You know, not everybody has a car when they graduate. And guess what? If you were an upperclassman, you just walked to the head of the line. You didn't wait for freshmen. You didn't wait for sophomores. You didn't even wait for juniors. You walked to the head of the line. Well, there's some, there's some Jewish Christians that think that they've got better access to God than a Gentile Christian. Baloney. We all have equal access in Christ. Part of the big stumbling block about 
Christianity because when you read Galatians, it actually says if they wanted to have an equal place with the Gentile, they had to be bought out from under the law. The law kept them down. Yeah, that's right. And that was just unthinkable to the Jew. Right. Because the, the law is what made them different and made them a special people mm-hmm. in their view. So, why am I over here? You're going, what does this have to do with the text we're talking about over in John 16? Stay here in Ephesians, we're not done. But what he's saying is there's a truth that was made known by the Spirit, but that truth was made known to the apostles and prophets. And you and I learned something from that. Now let's turn over back over to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 then. Uh, and... Uh, Let's go to um, verse um, 17. Ephesians Ephesians 4.17. And he says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk like the Gentiles walk, in the futility or vanity of their mind, darkened in their understanding, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorances in them because of the hardness of their heart. They don't care. They're ignorant and they don't want to know. Who, have, who are past feeling. It doesn't even bother them anymore that this is an issue. And they have given themselves over to lewdness, to practice all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not learned the Christ in this way. In other words, this is not the way those who are part of the Christ behave. This is not the way we function, number one. Then, here it is, verse 21. If indeed, and that's a since indeed. He's not saying, if, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. No, since indeed, you have heard him and were taught by him, even as the truth was in Jesus. Now, where is the city of Ephesus? It's in Turkey. It's It's on the west coast of Turkey, on the Aegean Sea, right across from Corinth in Greece. A long way from Judea and Galilee. Where was Jesus in his earthly ministry? Judea and Galilee. Jesus didn't travel to Turkey. On top of that, many of the people that make up the Ephesian church are what kind of a racial background? Gentiles. They, very likely, almost everybody in this church had never traveled to Judea had never traveled to Galilee, and had never personally met the person of Jesus, had never heard him. Paul indicates in 2 Corinthians, he says, he he makes a statement in there in which Paul apparently heard him at some time. There was probably some time when he's talking that he's among those part of the Sanhedrin, those among those Pharisees, he's this young buck in there, and he's listening to Jesus, and from the background he hears this stuff that Jesus is saying, Probably at least on one occasion, because he seems to indicate that in 2 Corinthians 5. But these people? No. So what does he mean, since that's the case, when he says, it, since indeed you have heard him and were taught by him. How did they hear Jesus, and how were they taught by Jesus then? Hmm? Right. And we just looked back up a little bit ago up in verse 11 here in chapter 4 also. That he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Yeah. So he gave these people that as they carry out their work, this is true. Now, this is very serious here. We got, we got people in here that teach the Bible. My wife teaches a Bible class. Jim teaches a Bible class. I teach. Josh usually teaches. You teach a class. Anybody else teach? You, you, you teach? Yeah. You've, Ronnie has? Leslie has? I mean, think of how many of us have on a regular basis taught a class. And one of the things you need to take very seriously when you're handling the Word is, if you teach the Word accurately and carefully, people should be hearing Christ. They're not hearing His voice. We all know that. But He should be speaking through you because of what's said here in the Word. If I stand here and I come up with, and I and this happens, in fact, this, to be honest, this happened just this last weekend where I got to listen to a pastor speak. And all I told, I think I told Josh this, 
I said, I'm not creative enough to, to teach like that guy did because he took stuff. I would have read that passage a hundred times and I never would have taken out of that passage what he did because he created something that wasn't there. He came up with a real cool three-point study that wasn't what the text was saying. And that's why when we teach, we want to get down and say, what does it say? That may mean that we have to go to some other texts of Scripture to explain it because maybe that text doesn't give us every bit of information and we want to bring a little more information than that particular text offers us. That takes work, doesn't it? That takes work. I was just talking to somebody today and they were talking. we were talking about doing the hard work of study. And I was telling him, I, I had a Hebrew word, this is a few years back, but this happens on a somewhat regular basis, that I had a Hebrew word that kind of had some things that were interesting. And I spent the better part of a day going through all 150 places that that Hebrew word occurs and then all the places that its cognate in, in Hebrew occurs because there's a form that's similar to it. And I went through all of these. I know Jim's done this. Josh has done this. I trust that some of you others have done these kind of things. And what you do is you get to see for yourself in the Word of God what it says. Anyway, all that. I'm kind of chasing a rabbit with that. But the point is, we should be, they should be hearing Christ if we're teaching the word carefully and accurately. Okay, got that point? We want them, I, I don't want a person to come away going, I never in my wildest dreams would have ever got that Bible study out of that thing. I hope that the study we're doing tonight, if you just put in the time and the legwork and you worked and you just compared scriptures, that God would put these things together for you. But I hope that when you go away, you're not going, I don't know, how in the world did he get that out of there? You ought to be able to go, yeah, that's what's going on. It's plain. That's what I want. I hope you feel that way. So having, turn with me to one more passage, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Oh, and by the way, I was going to make a statement when he gave those four gifts over there, um, just to kind of tease your, your thinking. But one of those gifts, the third one in there, is the gift of evangelism. And what do you think of in the minute you think of evangelist? Somebody telling people the gospel. What people? The good news. Uh, unsaved. unsaved. Unsaved people. Yeah. And when I was when I've been teaching through Ephesians on on Thursday nights, it occurred to me when I was going through this. I wonder why we always think that? Because the the New Testament, Paul. How many gospels does Paul talk about? Several gospels for Christians. And it all of a sudden got me wondering, an evangelist could be a person that just gives out good news. And they could be communicating one of these other good newses that Paul gets. It doesn't just have to be the good news for unsaved people. It could be the good news for other people. Anyway, something to think about, for you to think about in there. What the good news is. What are good newses? Yeah. Good newses? Yeah. Yeah. It's good for a man to not be alone, but our wives also help us stay home. <laughs> and they also Amen. they also tell us to get off of our illustration and get back to where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Now, Hebrews chapter two, let's go to verse one. And he's talking about the superiority of who Christ is, and he says in verse one of chapter two, on account of this it is necessary that we pay more attention to the things that we have heard, lest we should drift. Lots of believers get spiritually lazy, they're kind of content in their situation, and they don't pay attention to the truth they've learned, and they drift. And pretty soon they're on down the road, and they're looking at this other stuff that if they would have been paying attention, they would have said, I'm not having to do with this, this is not right. But now they're okay, well, maybe it's okay, because they're not paying attention. Verse 2, for if the words spoken through angels came to be firm, and every transgression, what does that tell you it is? The law, because you have to have law to transgress, according to Paul in Romans 4. So the word that he's talking about was given by angels is the law. A large portion of the law, we're told in two places, was transmitted by angels to Moses. Some of it God gave face to face with Moses. And every disobedience received a righteous payback or a penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great of salvation? So think about your salvation. It's great. You just neglect it. You learn. You sit and you sit in Bible studies and you take in truth and you learn about what God's given you salvation. You learn about your position in Christ. You learn about the benefits of regeneration. You learn these things and then you're like, 
yeah, it's too much work. I just want to do this. And you guess what? There are consequences to walking away from truth you know better when you know better. It will, and the book of Hebrews traces those out, I think, five times. We have five warnings in the book of Hebrews of problems that believers run into when they just choose to wander off and not, not do these things. And so he says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of through the Lord? When did the Lord speak these things? Yeah, John 13 through 17, the upper room. It began to be spoken. He's the one that began to speak about our great salvation. And then by those that heard him, it was confirmed to us. So it began to be spoken by the Lord, but then it was confirmed to us that by these other guys, the apostles up there, which is telling you the writer of Hebrews was not an eyewitness. He was not somebody that was sitting in that upper room with the rest of the 11. And then he said... It's confirmed, and then he says, And God testifying or bearing witness, both by signs and wonders and many kinds of miracles through the Holy Spirit, distributing them even as he will. So in other words, this is one of the reasons that you had all this incredible stuff going on for the first few decades of the church. Because it was new, and the Holy Spirit is, uh, the Holy Spirit is giving these people these works to confirm to them this new stuff is real. Example, Acts 10, when Peter goes to the household of Cornelius. And when he preaches the gospel, when they believe, he remember he says, I was just getting started. And boom, the Holy Spirit falls on those guys. Because see, they didn't need an invitation. They didn't need anything fancy. They just needed to hear the good news and what they were supposed to do with it. And when they did it, they believed. That's all there was to it. You don't have to say, uh, let's do... Five stands of just as I am. Now everybody close your eyes and bow your head. Another two stanzas of just, now just quietly. Raise your hand. Hey, if you raised your hand, now why don't you come? I'm just saying, I remember going to camp like that, and you stand there, and after 10 minutes, they'd empty the auditorium, and you'd have like 10 kids standing around there that are too hard to, hard-hearted, me, one of them. I'm not going forward. This is stupid. Anyway, you know, that was me as a high schooler. But but that was the thing. You don't need to do that. You just You just... Communicate the gospel, and the people that are supposed to respond will respond. You don't have to beg and plead and pull. And all of that, then what happens is the Holy Spirit confirms that. So the Spirit falls on those guys and said, all those who were with Peter of the circumcision were amazed. Why? Because they saw the Spirit fall on them and caused them to speak in tongues just as they had at the beginning. And it confirmed to them these Gentiles had believed and were saved by God just like us. See, it had to be for them. It wasn't for the Gentiles that these signs were out there for. The signs were for the Jews, and Paul tells us that. Anyway, that's a whole other aside. But the reason we're coming over here is because it, this word begins to be spoken by Jesus, but then it is confirmed. It's made, it's made firm by, the, by these people that heard him in the upper room, which is that's what we have in the word of God. Okay, so let's go back over to... John 16. And when he makes this statement then, in verse 25, he says, These things I've spoken to you in figures of speech, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will speak plainly to you concerning the Father I will announce to you. In that day, then you will not ask me anything. And he goes on from there. But again, he's going to talk plainly. Now, I think that the important thing about this is Paul talked about, like, what's a figure of speech he gave us in the upper room? What's one of the figures of speech about our relationship? The vine and the branches. It's a really good illustration. But you know what? Paul doesn't talk about any vine and branches. Do you, you know what? As much as Jesus mentions our position in Christ in the upper room and, and kind of introduces it, who fleshes that out? The Apostle Paul. So that when you look through his writings, over a hundred times Paul refers to us as those who are in Christ and in him and in whom and all these things again and again. Because Paul thought, I, and I've told you this before, if you got saved on Monday afternoon hearing Paul in the marketplace, you know what you were doing Monday night? 
This is my guess. But I'm going to guess Monday night. You're sitting and Paul's doing your first Bible study and he's telling you, this is who you are now as a believer in Christ. And he may unload five or six things about you because Paul knew that was the heartbeat of the Christian faith, is knowing who you are. And so, as he's doing those things, what we're going to do is I want to just, I want to walk through some things that he says about us as believers in Christ and just see how plainly Paul puts this, that Paul doesn't use figures of speech. He just tells it to us. Now, that brings us down to our handouts. Hey, Tim? Yes. Can I use the, um, the hall? It's not docked or not done. And he hears that this cell's already persecuting me. Mm -hmm. Can I use that to go along with this? I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. I'll be speaking through other people. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm, I gave you two things here. This is a sheet. Some of you probably already have a copy of this somewhere folded up, stuck in your Bible, stuck in your bookcase at home. Because I, I think we created this 2007 or 2008 according to the document on my computer. And so we've used, used this a lot. This isn't exhaustive. But this was just me going through the New Testament, compiling them, putting them in here. And this does not, there's a whole extra sheet, three pages, three and four, on practical applications of these things. And how long have you, I, look, I think I pulled my notes out last week when I was going over this, trying to see when you started on who we are in Christ. And I think you've been doing that for <coughs> two and a half or three years. I think looking at my notes. Can I be done with that's No, that's the, whole, that, that's the whole point. Is that there's so much to look at. There is just so much to look at. So, so that's what this is. This one was because this, this came up like two weeks in a row on men's group where we were talking about, um, Lewis was bringing this up, talking about who we are in Christ and, and this was coming up and I thought, I could give this to the guys. I don't know where all the, what all these guys know and I thought this might be a little bit daunting and I thought, why don't we just, why don't we do a tract for Christians? So that's what this is. It's a tract for Christians that just goes through and it gives you a scripture with like a one sentence statement on it afterwards just to share. And I've got more down here. If you have somebody that you want to share, and it doesn't tell you everything, but I think it tells you some good things to get a person started thinking about who they are in Christ. And here I was going to take them, and I still haven't, I forgot to take them to men's group and pass them out, but maybe someday I will. Um, you didn't take them? Totally forgot. You, you know why? I was gone for several days and. That's all it takes to, for my brain to get all messed up. Grandkids have so much fun, you just can't hardly think in the regular world again, right? Please. In that Ephesians passage, um, when it said you learned, you have not, you learned, for, if so, you learned from Jesus. And uh, I agree with what you're saying, that that's, if you're teaching the Word, then we're learning from Jesus. But um, I think it's... Uh, it's, I think in that context, it's really emphasizing the human element through the spiritual gifts. Sure. Not, it's not just saying, okay, here's a Bible so you can learn from Jesus. Uh -huh. It's emphasizing the human interaction of spiritual gifts and God and Christ specifically directing the Spirit in your life to interact with other believers as you're rightly related to Him and as the Spirit's maturing you. And then you're used as an instrument in other people's lives. And it's saying, that's Christ. That goes back to the John 15, and if you're abiding in him, you, you can bear much fruit. Mm. That's the life of Christ going through you to other believers. And so it's, it's in one sense, it's subordinate. It's, it's not subordinate. It's uh, um, the... Uh, through. Through. Me, uh... uh Means intermediate intermediate agency intermediate agency. Right. Greek. Greek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> having trouble getting this. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but you. Uh, but, but so it's uh, that's we become the intermediate agent, and but you're learning from Christ. So on one hand, it's intermediary, but you're it's in another sense. You could say you're learning from Christ. 
So it's you know it's more than just you're learning the Bible. You're right. Jesus is teaching you the Bible. It's that he's teaching you the Christian life. The experiential. It, yeah, it's more than yeah. just what's written here. Is what I guess what I'm saying. Yes, right. It's in keeping with what's written here, but it might you're be living more out than what that. you're learning. It yeah. might be more than that. It might yeah. be that you Doing need it. the spiritual gift to come along and show you how this works in real life. And and uh, here's the theoretical knowledge, and here it's how it works, and it's still relevant to the twenty. Whatever century we're in, you know. But watch, we're doing it right now. Yeah, right here. My spiritual, well, you know. Yeah, going back to Ephesians 3 as a reference point where you're talking about this, when he talks about the apostles and prophets revealing this mystery, he's not talking about the fact that they wrote it down. Some of them did. Paul wrote it down. But he's talking about the fact that they verbally communicated it. Out there among the churches where these apostles and prophets are, they're talking to the people in those churches about this because they didn't have a written revelation. So they had to hear this from these people. And it's the same thing, not only those guys, but he's got two gifts that stick around after the apostles and prophets are done. The, 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 the evangelists, the good news people, and the shepherd teachers. But then as Josh is saying... Then you get down from there, and the purpose of those gifts is to equip all the rest of the believers so they can better do their gift, their work of ministry. And there's no the in front of ministry. Remember that in 4.12 of Ephesians? It's a work of ministry, because your ministry is not mine. Mine's not yours. That's the stupidest thing in the world I grew up with in churches that a pastor thinks everybody should do what he's doing. No. I don't want you all to become pastor teachers. I don't want you all to become evangelists. I don't want you all to become encouragers. I want you to use your gift. That's what I want you to do, because that's what God wants you to do. Now, when we're talking about Christ teaching through us, there's another thing that, that as Josh is doing that, and I, I'm trying to discipline myself to pay attention to what a person's saying and not be going, what I'm going to say afterwards, you know, like Brian Regan's always saying, waiting for them to stop moving their mouth on, you know. So I'm trying to just focus. But God was good, and I didn't forget what I wanted to say here. In 1 Corinthians 12, well, it's because I think it's important. In 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about the spiritual gifts, he talks about the relationship of the Spirit, the relationship of Christ as Lord, and the relationship of the Father. And when he says the Lord, there are many ministries, but one Lord. That means when Christ is acting as Lord, he's directing that ministry. So that means when Gary uses his spiritual gift, if he's using it the way God wants, it's because the Lord Jesus Christ himself is directing that. So that goes exactly to what Josh is just saying, that when he's actually using his gift, then he's doing what the Lord wants him to do, and I can benefit from that if I'm smart enough to submit to the ministry of his gift. And that, there's, that's one of the things, if you pay attention there, and it, if you go home and read all through Ephesians 4, because it's one of the things I think Christians miss. And I get, I, Lindsay did this. I'm, and then she comes and tries to say this, and I'm like, I can't, I'm never going to listen to what she ever says, because rah, 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 rah. like then, you know what, when you do that, and people do that kind of thing, right? Sorry. I always pick on the guy, so I'm trying to pick on, on, say, pick on some of the ladies. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> but, I, but I'm just trying to say, you know, if that happens, we sometimes are like, you know, we get uptight and we do that. And if you say you won't, re I won't receive ministry, put in the context of Ephesians. I'm a Gentile. I'm not listening to those Jews. Those Jews were just mean to us. Yeah, they're brothers in Christ now. But yeah, but they were mean. I'm not going to listen to them. You know what you're doing? You're cutting yourself off from things that the Lord wants to say and do in your life through other people. You made the comment about if you're smart enough to listen, but really it's building the spirit. Sure, yes. I think that was a figure of speech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. submission is one of the qualities of, the, of it, spirit filling. I mean, sometimes it's even someone that might have a few minutes before been out of it, but then they yield to the spirit and they do what they're supposed to and then you have to forget what they did and yeah, absolutely. yield to the teaching of the spirit yeah. yeah and it's not just and it's not all just it i think like what josh is getting it's not all just people that are teachers what about a person with the gift of encouragement or the gift of mercy or the gift of direction i mean there's these other gifts that are being used and all those gifts are essential i mean think how often during the day do you use your little your little toe? You think pro you actually use it way more than you realize, but most of us take it for 
<laughs> Most of us take for granted what it does down there, you know? And you, you're a little pinky. I used that today. I was playing guitar. I used that to switch back and forth between some notes up there. But most of the time, I don't think anything about that little guy down there. That's my phone. <laughs> it, it, yeah. See? It does. All of this simply to say is that all the parts of the body are important. Okay. So, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, if you remember, I, I asked you to remember this, and I was going to come back, and we didn't, go, we didn't go back and look at it, but there in John 16, verse 26, I believe it is, or 25, he says, I will speak to you about the Father. Well, what we're going to do is things about our position in Christ. What in the world does this have to do with the Father? This is our position in Christ I'm going to look at as an example of this. Ephesians 1. Yes, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's good things to say about God the Father. Why? Because he's the one that blessed or said good things about us with every good thing that you could say about us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You know why I'm in Christ? Because the Father says I'm in Christ. That's what it comes down to. That's what comes out. The Father says I'm in Christ. I remember I was at a, I was visiting a seminary probably 20 years ago. Well, it was when it was when Gary was in the hospital, and I'd go over there just about every week to see him in the hospital over there. And there was uh, one day that Leslie called and she says, "Hey, if you're going to come in, Gary has this procedure in the morning, so you won't be able to come in and see him till noon or one or whatever it was." And I thought, well, what am I going to do with? I already was over there staying at my aunt and uncle's, and I what am I going to do? And I thought, oh, you know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to the seminary up the street up here, and I'm going to see if there's a class to sit in on. And I even knew the guy was teaching the class, and I went and sat in there, and he was teaching about our position in Christ. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. Well, he's using a theology textbook that's talking about metaphysics and trying to explain metaphysics and how you're in Christ metaphysically and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there going, what? I just wanted to raise my hand, but I thought, I'm just kind of visiting, sitting in the back. There's like six students sitting up front, and I'm in the back, and I'm like, I just wanted to say, I'm in Christ because God says I'm in Christ. That's all there is to it. There's, no, there's, there's nothing complicated about it. I don't have to understand metaphysics to understand who I am in Christ. And all I can say is the particular teacher that's teaching the class should have known better. I'm serious about this individual. There's some people I couldn't fault them, but I kind of felt like this particular guy should have known better anyway. But God says we're in Christ. Second of all, verse 4, And he chose us in him, that is in Christ, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. God the Father chose me to be holy and blameless before him in him, in Christ. This is our standing. Down here I'm not always holy, I'm not always blameless, but he's the one that does that. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He has, here's the verb, has graced us. Some of your Bibles have favored, highly favored, blessed, but it's the verb form of the word grace. He has graced us in the one that is love, that is in Christ. I'm in Christ because God says I'm in Christ. In Christ, I'm holy and without blame. In Christ, I'm grace. The Father says all these things because of grace. He doesn't say one of those because, Tim, you know you acted holy today, so I'm going to say you're holy in Christ. No. He says, I'm holy even when I don't act holy. He said, oh, you were blameless today, Tim. Boy, that would be crazy if I'd actually were blameless all day long. Uh, but, uh, but he says, but he says uh, you're blameless because I say you're blameless in Christ. And I'm looking forward. And I, I, have day, I can live towards this idea of being blameless and holy. And one day I will be absolutely holy and blameless. But this is talking about in him. I made it for a couple of minutes yesterday. Okay, there we go. There we go. Thank you. But he does say about us in him. See, it's in not Christ, saying about me so down here. He's saying about in Christ, I'm always holy and blameless. That's what he says. In, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm holy and blameless even when I'm messed up down here. When I'm not holy and I'm not blameless in Christ, that never changes. That's why it's by That's why he says in verse 6, it's grace. If, if any of... I, if any of this were true, based on how we behaved, right. then for most of us it would be very true, or be true rarely. Out here, 
two minutes. Yeah. But it's it's true it's true of us from the moment we believe the gospel until the day he takes us home, he says these things about us. This 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 is what Romans eight thirty eight and thirty nine are about. Nothing can separate us from the love of God unto us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? How's the Father love you? He doesn't ever stop saying you're in Christ. Every moment of every day, he counts that to be a reality. So even when we're not living the way that we should down here, or we glow it or whatever, he sees us in Christ so he could say good things about us in Christ. That's right. Yeah. It's in but his mind. He's does he know that I'm not always holy and blameless down here? Yes. That's why we get disciplined. If if our if what how he dealt with this down here was only based on what he said in Christ, I'd never get disciplined because I'd always be holy and blameless. But down here, I'm sometimes a stinker, and he has to take me out back and give me a little spanking. You know, I got a I have a bum knee right here. I've got a bum knee that's been bothering me now for month over a month, and that is that was discipline. I knew it was discipline almost right after it because I was being dang stubborn about something that I knew God didn't want me to mess with, didn't want me to bother with. Yeah, and it's getting better, but it's a good reminder of consequences of me choosing to be out of the will of God in a situation. And I've had a few of those in my life, but there's discipline. And I, well, anyway, we could chase that down, but we're not going to do that anymore. So verse 7, verse 7 of Ephesians 1, In him that is in Christ, we have redemption. What Christ did on the cross, dying, as a redemption that he fully paid for everything that I had issues with, everything I did wrong, all my sins, all my trespasses, all of that. He's going to talk about one specific here in this context. But I'm freed from that because that's the emphasis of this particular word for redemption. Because he took care of that, I'm now free. I'm bought out and freed. Yes, that's the emphasis of apolutrosis. Lutrao is to pay a ransom, to pay that, that fine. Apo is a way. So I'm freed away from the confinement that I had. And then verse 7, and uh, so we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. That's how, that's how in this context that redemption works out. My trespasses are sent away. My trespasses? Yeah. My trespasses. When I look at Lewis and go, that fool, that fool, that fool, that fool. <laughs> Man, that, you know, that's just, uh. and, and you choose, I mean, if you choose to entertain things and you choose to have a certain frame of mind towards somebody, but I'm not out loud going, hey, you're rah, 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 rah. And you were going, Josh was going over this with us last night at men's group, talking about going from a trespass to a sin by actually acting on something. But you can offend God and instead of looking at you and saying, you know what, you're a believer in Christ. And yeah, what you're doing right now, I, maybe I don't think you ought to be doing that thing. I'm just making something up again, like I picked on Lindsay a little bit ago. But uh, I, I, could, I, I might have something, but I might entertain in my mind, oh, fool, fool, fool. And then I just keep going with that, and I won't let go of it. And eventually, is that going to affect the way I interact with you? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and I may open my mouth, and I may say something that's unnecessary, that's hurtful, that derails a person. Those are your trespasses. And there's another aspect of trespass in my is my understanding of this, and maybe we'll do this in a different Bible say a different time. But I've come to conclude the other aspect of a trespass is it's something that you rationalize in your mind. I came across this in a, a guy by the name of Trench that actually talked about the fact that a trespass was something that a person did that they justified in their mind as being acceptable. So when they know God said no. But in the circumstances, it's like, I know, God, you don't want me to think like this about Lewis, but you understand under the circumstances why I should think like this. I had a, a friend who he would always say, it's a bad example because, you know, God doesn't care if we have a drink here and there or if we smoke cigarettes or whatever. He wants us to be healthy, right? But blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's, he likes to have a drink at night. And he always would tell me, like, yeah, I drink a little bit, but Jesus loves me, so it's okay. And I always just laugh, like, yeah, you're justifying this behavior that you actually feel like you have a problem with based on what you're telling me <laughs> by saying, but Jesus loves me, and it's okay. He forgives me anyway. Yeah. 
that's what you're talking about. Right? I would say that, yeah, that might, for that individual, that might be a trespass because he thinks he has a problem, but he's trying to justify right. it. Yeah. And this is what, and Christians do this with all kinds of things. And that's yeah. part of the nature of a trespass. We, we know better, but we think there's a good reason for me to be like this right now. But he forgives those. And in the context of Ephesians, you know what that is? When I'm picking on the example of picking on another person like Lewis, it's because the Jewish and Gentile believers were having hard feelings towards each other. And they're thinking it's justified. Well, if God, you understand how they have treated us for years. So I'm okay that I'm kind of holding these people at arm's length. You get the point? But who does that? See, the Father's the one that forgives. The Father's the one that applies the redemption that we have in Christ by the Holy Spirit putting us into Christ. And then he says, according to the riches of his grace. See, it's the riches of God's grace. It's the riches of God's grace that is applied that provides me and you with those benefits of redemption and that forgiveness of trespasses. If you want the sins, you go to Colossians 1.14. He says almost exactly the same thing, but he uses the word sin over there in Colossians 1.14. I think we'll stop there. I've got more on here, obviously, because there's more in Ephesians. Just And that's just going through some in Ephesians. I've got several more. But as the way I'm kind of moving along, I think we'll kind of tie it off. But here's the point. They, Paul does not come. When we looked at these things, Paul doesn't think of these in terms of figures of speech. He doesn't look at it and say, oh, God's counting you holy like, uh, you know, figure some figure of speech. Like what? Like what? Say it again. Like a piece of Swiss, Swiss cheese. cheese. Oh, sorry. A piece of Swiss cheese. Oh, holy, holy like Swiss cheese. Oh, okay. Uh, like a piece of Swiss cheese. Yeah. He's not, he's not, he just. I mean, it was punny. It was punny. Paul just makes these statements straight forward. And I think, what? Paul just makes these statements straightforward. She's telling me that because that's one of the things the physical therapist says don't do if you want that to heal up. Anyway, um, Paul is just telling this. This is what God says. God says good things about you. He doesn't dress it up with fancy, similar metaphors. He just says God says good things about you. Comes, he says you're holy and without blame. Just says that's what God says about. You. God says He graced you. He could have used all kinds of flowery language about. How you're graced in Christ. He doesn't do that. He just, and then that last part when he says according to the riches of his grace, I don't think that's flowery language. What he's telling you is his grace is really generous. It's big, much bigger than most of us as Christians ever come to appreciate. Because we stand amazed every time I mess up, every time I sin, and God, and I I've, was I've, just sharing this with somebody the other day, but I've seen God do this with countless times where I sin, and I want to go through Protestant penance by beating myself up for having been stupid enough to sin, and I just can't get past that thing in that moment. And then I'm like, this is not the way you react. And I start thinking about who I am in Christ. I go and talk to God about what I've done, and then give God about 10 or 15 minutes, and the phone rings. And it's a person that calls, and they're like, hey, you got a few minutes? And you sit on the phone for an hour talking with somebody, and I'm sitting on the other end just going, God, I cannot get over your grace. Do you not remember what I just did back a few minutes ago? And you're giving me this opportunity right now? He doesn't do that all the time, but I've seen him do it a lot of times. I think to try to drill through me, this is still about my grace. Don't you forget it. This is where it's going. So, anyway. And the whole point of these, as we were looking at this, is Jesus says, I'm going to speak plainly, but he says, about the Father. And that's the thing I missed. And that's why I went back and I'm like, well, uh, these were all about in Christ things. But why am I in Christ? Because God says so. Why am I holy and blameless? Because God chose. Why am I, why is it grace in Christ? Because God chose to, God chose to grace me in Christ. That's what he says. Why am I forgiven? Because God chose to apply Christ's redemption and apply forgiveness to me. Why? 
Is that all true? Because of the riches of his grace. In other words, this is God the Father again and again and again and again in these statements, applying and making these things that are true of us in Christ real. Got that? So, it's something, and by the way, having said all that as an encouragement to you, you really ought to practice Ephesians 1.3. You know what that means? You ought to say some good things about God the Father. When we talk about worshiping God, maybe we ought to talk about and say, you are so great because you say every moment of every day that I am still at your right hand in God the Son, even when I do not in any way, shape, or form down here deserve that. You say that. And you also can apply it to other people. You know, her. Or she could do that with me. Yeah, see? She's being really good to me doing that. That's not annoying. It just, it's annoying that I keep doing it. But, but, you know, you do that, you do that in this relationship. Keep remembering. Because you're going to have all kinds of people that you meet with, other believers, people in your church, that... Guess what? They're all going to at some times be like you and they're going to disappoint you. And you need, rather than focusing on your disappointment, focus on this is who God says they are in Christ. And he says this about me too. That's other texts. But anyway. Okay. Okay.